uniting the races with truth instead of dividing them with lies. We also rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. You can get involved by calling 888-775-3773, 888-77-JESSE. Larry Pratt will be here at the top of the second hour today. We're here three hours three hours a day, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 to noon Eastern Time, heard around the world by everybody and their mama. I do appreciate it. Uh, emails and Facebook uh, comments are coming up in the bottom of the second hour. Uh, lots of stuff to cover today, folks. Lots of it, and we're going to get right into it. I have with me um, Corrine McCandless, and Corrine is an author, entrepreneur, activist, and mother. She wrote the book, The Wild Truth, a book meant to give family context to the famous story about her brother, Chris, called Into the Wild. You remember that movie? Andre, Into the Wild? Into the Wild. No? Yeah. I believe I saw a story about it on 60 Minute, one of those programs. We're having her on to talk about family issues described in her book. In her book, The Wild Truth. And we'll tell you how to get the book here in a minute. Kareen, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas. You too. All right. Um, very interesting book. Um, help me explain to the audience, those who not, may not be familiar with the story of Chris McCandless, um, I know that he disappeared for two years, and in his final few months, he went hiking in Alaska alone and died in the uh, wildness. Explain to the folks what happened. Well, Chris was always an adventurer since he was uh, a young child. And he, as it's described in John Krakauer's book, and my book doesn't take anything away from, from John's book, of course. It just simply adds to it. Yeah. Um, John Krakauer was able to show a side of Chris, and Sean Penn did as well in the movie, Into the Wild, um, John specifically in his book, Into the Wild, really showed a side of Chris that I frankly couldn't. He related to Chris as a young male, as an extreme adventurer who took great risks. John himself has written about his own charged relationship with his father, and there's something unique about father-son relationships um, and different than daughter-father relationships. Right. So John shared... And, and, of course, Chris's story is very well-known through the success of John's book and the success of Sean's film. Um, I simply am, am adding to that with the rest of the story. And Chris, as I said, was an adventurer from um, the time he was young. Uh, when we were in high school, uh, Chris, as soon as he could drive, he was taking his old Dotson off on summer adventures and traveling. So Chris actually had a great deal of experience um, traveling across country and, and on foot and hiking. And when he graduated with honors from Emory University in Atlanta, or Emory College in Atlanta, Georgia, he um, disappeared and cut off all ties um, with the family and cut off all contact. And, you know, it was a lot easier to do back then. There's 
wasn't um, the commonplace of emails, uh, cell phones, all of those things that people have a hard time imagining not to be with uh, ah, in this day and age. I'm telling so you. It, it's, it's a lot easier to, to disappear. Um, and he did so, and he did it very well. And um, unfortunately, two years later, we found out that he had journeyed into Alaska and passed away. Um, but, you know, I cover a lot of ground in my book. Um, Chris's story is a powerful symbol of the devastating effects that domestic violence has on children and families, but it's also a beautiful story of the peace that Chris found in nature, despite the pain that had pushed him to such extremes. How old old was Chris at the time when he died? Chris was 24 when he passed away. I was 21. Oh, okay. Um, Why should people care or pay attention to Chris's story? Well, you know... People ask me why. Why do I think Chris's story resonates with people so much? I mean, it's known by people all over the world. I receive messages from people all over the world. Um, John's book, for example, is in gosh, sixty countries. It's already it's printed in over thirty languages, um, and it's a story that knows no boundaries as far as um, you know, geographically, demographically. Politically, I mean, it just—it's everyone finds ways to relate to it, and it's simply a story that makes people think. It makes people think about their day-to-day lives, about you know, truly living and not just existing. Um, your priorities in life, what's important to you. So, um, Chris went through, according to the book, your book, uh, Chris went through what a lot of kids go through of all races, and that is while growing up, his parents fought. Uh, He, apparently, his father hit him or whooped him or whatever he did to him. And also his father had another family, a second family. Uh, With your mother, it was just you and Chris, but apparently he had another wife he had kids with, and he was spending time with both families. Um, Uh. What I don't, I mean, that's so typical in life. Why did Chris take it so personally that he couldn't, he didn't, he wasn't able to overcome the trauma? Well, there are several reasons. Uh, you know, this book gives another perspective. It's a sibling survival story. I'm the youngest of eight kids, and that's something that is not understood. Um, it's it's really glossed over through John's book and in Sean's film. And as far as what's missing in John's book, I take full responsibility for that. It was not John Krakauer's fault. I explained all these things to John. I let him read Chris's letters, excerpts of which are printed in my book. Um, and, you know, I wanted Chris to be able to speak for himself rather than me speaking for him. And I didn't allow John to do that. Um, I wanted to give my parents a chance to learn these very, very valuable lessons. And after 20 years, I realized that they weren't going to learn these lessons, and there's so many people that are inspired by Chris and his story, and Chris taught me that the greatest inspiration comes from truth. So I realized that I was doing a disservice to all those that seek inspiration from him. What lesson did you want your parents to learn? Well, you asked about why did Chris take it so personally. Um, You know, we did grow up in a very violent and tumultuous household. My mother was our father's primary target. Um as was his, his first wife, 
uh, as well. Um, and, you know, my mother went from being his, his greatest victim to his greatest accomplice. And when we were young children, we did know our other brothers and sisters growing up. When you're very young, you don't understand what it means that your ages are intermixed. And, um, you know, there's one of my brothers from his first wife is only three months older than Chris. So my father had his, his wife, um, and his mistress, who was my mom pregnant at the same time. And it's, you know, people make mistakes. Everyone's human. And, um, you know, I'm self-deprecating on a book. I don't highlight mistakes of others without talking about my own. But the very important lessons of this book and of this uh, story is accepting responsibility for, you know, owning your mistakes and your responsibility for their consequences and learning from them and moving forward in a positive direction. When we were very young and we would uh, go through what we went through in our household, we would be told that it was our fault. And Chris especially. It was, you know, my mother would, I write about in the book how my mother would sort of fall to us after father released her and she would apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry, kids, but I got stuck with your father when I got pregnant with Chris. And, you know, he's a five, six-year-old little boy. And and, and that's what he learned, is that it was his fault that he was watching his family suffer through this. Let me take a break. 888-775-3773. 888-77-JESSE. When we come back, folks, we're going to tell you how to get the book right after this break. Kareem McCandless is with me. Her book is The Wild Truth, and it is about her brother Chris, who um, apparently grew up in a home where his father and mother didn't get along that well and was mean to him, and he disappeared for two years, and in his final few months, he went hiking in Alaska alone and died in the wilderness, and there was a movie made by and played by Sean Penn, uh, his sister Corinne, my guest here, wrote her book, The Wild Truth, and, and is telling her part of the story here. And this is about family stuff. You know, everybody got some stuff they go through in their families. And some people manage to overcome, others don't. Um, Corinne, tell the folks how to get your book here, The Wild Truth. Um, it's, it's available through any outlets that you would normally be able to purchase a book from, and it's in most public li- libraries. For people that can't afford it, they can go and, and get it out from their library. Um, it is, you know, on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. It's in most um, most major bookstores, so they should be able to find it, no problem. So your father, first family, with his first wife, uh, he had six children, and then with your mother, his second wife, he had two, you and Chris, and so eight kids. Your parents don't agree. Your parents are still together. And what happened to his first wife? Is she alive? Did they divorce? What happened in that situation? Um, she finally was able to get her and her six children away from um, our father. She did so with very little money. Um, she was very abused. And um, she is a symbol of strength. She was able to make that very difficult and important choice to remove her children from the situation, and she is a huge part of the lessons of this book. 
this book isn't just about Chris. I mean, it is utilizing the very well-known platform of Chris's story to highlight some very important issues, one being the issue of domestic violence and others being the importance of truth. And, you know, I work with students where for the past several years before um, my book came out, of course, I've been working with students where John's book, Into the Wild, is required reading. It's in 3,000 high schools and colleges across the United States. And working with students is a huge passion of mine because you're reaching these children at this age of opportunity where they are deciding, you know, who they want to be and truly laying the foundation for who they will become. And it is an important lesson, regardless of where you come from or where you're going to, that, you know, truth in all things above else will make you happy and will set you free and will set your life um, in the right decision. Your um, your father and mother are still together. Um, um, you received letters from Chris, but your father and mother claim your story is fictionalized. Did you independently verify the letters as being from your brother? Of course. I mean, the letters were sent to me by Chris, and I didn't just use those. I used interviews from many family members. Uh, I verified everything. You can't write a book with the word truth in the title without making sure that you've done it accurately, and I did so um, with great care and great respect. And my parents, um, you know, I made sure that they had a copy of the book before it was released. With all due respect, I wanted them to have the opportunity to respond to it and not be bombarded by media. Because I knew the media would jump on that topic. And, um, you know, they did not contact me directly. They released a statement that, you're right, called my book Fictionalized Writing that had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with Chris's character. But their reaction and that statement doesn't anger me. It doesn't surprise me. They never did understand the damage that they were doing to their son or to any of us. There are eight children, um, and we all have the same story. Um, we've all dealt with things in different ways. We all have different comfort levels to the public nature of, of Chris's story. Um, all of my siblings gave me their respect and trust in my writing of this book. Um, there were a couple that wished I didn't feel I needed to write it. It's difficult to have your family um, in the spotlight for so many years. And it's just something that I got to the point, especially working with students and seeing the incredible impact that it had the rest of the story, the truth had on these students and having students come up to me after these presentations and reaching out for help for the first time Did and hearing from their professors and their parents, um, it, it became something where I understood I had something very important to share and that I needed to honor Chris and his legacy and, and my family for that matter by being honest. Do you love your father and mother? Uh, of course. I mean, I feel... Uh, people ask me if I feel bad about writing this book, and I don't, because I use truth as my guide, and I did it with pure intent. I believe if you do anything with pure intent in your heart, that it's a good thing to do. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't feel sad about writing the book. I don't think that I would be human if I didn't feel sadness. Um, I'm, it's unfortunate that I have this story to tell, but it's a story that so many people can relate to. Chris and I certainly didn't grow up in the hardest of households, and we didn't grow up I mean, we were born in the United States, for God's sakes. I mean, um, there are things much easier here than what other children go through. But and, and my parents did a lot of things right. But the positive um, things that 
we learned from them or that they did as parents. Are they good? Are they good people? Are your parents good people? My parents, unfortunately, just can't, you know, having a relationship with them from a family perspective. I mean, they don't have a relationship with any of their children, all eight of us, seven living. And it's a very toxic environment. And when you become a parent, in my own experience, and I write about this in the book, I'm, I'm telling my own story while filling, while filling in the blanks of Christmas. But, but I need to know, are they good people? I, I think that there are parts of them, of course, that are good. I think my mother, especially, is someone that would not have become the person she is today if it wasn't the, for the influence of my father. I don't think that in her heart she is the person that I see her as today. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Because she decided even today she's with him and she's going against and disagree what you are writing and saying. Yes, well, sir, you're right. But, but, but I understand. Why would she, if you know, he's such a bad man, why would she stay with him all this time and go against you? Because, unfortunately, she has put her reputation and, and social and financial status ahead of her children. That's something she chose to do at a very young age and continues to do so today. However, I understand why people suffer this way. I understand why people suffer in silence about domestic violence and how it pushes people down. I mean, I went through this as a child and as a young adult in my first relationship outside of, um, of leaving home. And I, you know, it took me 20 years to write this book. It took me 20 years to find my voice. I'm very confident that other people in reading this. Let, let me ask you, did, did, um, um, is your mother happy today? I haven't seen my mother happy for very many years, sir, but um, I also haven't spoken to her directly for did, several. Did you forgive your think, parents? I don't see them as, as happy people. Did you forgive them? I struggle with that. I write in the book about how I struggle about forgiveness. I'm a Christian, um, and I struggle with that very much because I think that the where I had a student ask me once, "What is my line between forgiveness and not forgiving?" And my well, answer was immediate: it's honesty. Honesty is the difference. Hold that thought. That's a very interesting point because a lot of people have problems with forgiveness. I want to ask you more about that right after this break. If you want to learn about the world, you need to learn about yourself. I'm learning about the world around me because I see myself. And I'm thinking, wow, that's something that I need to correct. I didn't know I was this way. Or You got to start with self. Know thyself. These are the things that God wants us to think about because it's going to improve our lives and it's going to bring us closer to him. And then we'll be a greater influence in the world. What's good, what's just, what's right. But no, y'all think about how much money to make, the next big house, the next date. Who did this to me? Who did that to me? And it's just, we're losing it. Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson's Sunday Service webcasts offer a simple, life-changing message that enables you to understand your Christian faith and unlock the secrets that can help you deal with life in a stress-free manner. You can watch these Sunday talks from the comfort of your home by going to bondinfo.org. That's bondinfo.org. All 
Okay, folks, welcome back. Your emails and Facebook comments are coming up at the top, at the bottom of the second hour. And at the top of the second hour, we're going to talk to Larry Pratt, gun owners of America, uh, for a few minutes. And we're now taking your phone calls at 888-775-3773. Thank you so much for being with me. Uh, Kareem McCannalist is with me, McCannalist. Her book is The Wild Truth. And it's about her life and her brother's life, what they went through growing up. Her father had two wives. His first wife, he had six kids. And with her mother, there were two. Um, And a lot of other stuff going on in the home. Chris went away, uh, and he ended up dead in the wilderness. And there was a movie made about it. And it's a very interesting story about family lives and how to deal with stuff and blah, 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 right? Uh, Kareen, I want to go back to this forgiveness situation. You are a Christian, and I ask that you forgive your father and mother. And what was the purpose of writing this book? So, and I'm sorry, I don't remember. Did you forgive them for what happened? Well, as I said, I write in the book about how I struggle with that still. Um, To me, a large part of forgiveness comes from self-awareness. I mean, there's there's a repentance that needs to come that you bring into your own heart. And my parents have never done that. Um, You know, the, the line for me between forgiving and not forgiving is honesty. How do you forgive someone? I can forgive the humanity and, and the, the, the human nature of making mistakes, of course. Um, but I have children of my own, and in my mind, it's that whole forgive and forget thing. I mean, I can't, you know, I, one of the quotes I have at the end of my book is, I cannot lend myself to that which I condemn. And as a parent, I will never allow my children to go through what I went through, ever. Um, I have two daughters, and after becoming a, par- uh, becoming a parent, my responsibility as a daughter and a sister shifted from uh, be, to, to being a sister and a mother. And um, that priority came into my life full force. And as hard as it is to lose your relationship with your parents, um, sometimes just like any situation where you know that it is a toxic one. You have to remove yourself from the situation. And if it was just me and I didn't have children, this might be an easier question to answer, but I can't answer without answering honestly. Right. And, um, are no, you married? I, I cannot. Are, are you married? Um, I'm divorced. I've had three failed marriages, actually. Wow. I write about that in the book as well. Yeah. Wow. So, um, uh, be be. Do you do you need your parents to repent in order for you to repent? No, I mean I don't. I don't feel. Um, I I don't need them to. Do, they need to do that for themselves. I mean, I want them to do that for themselves. Why do you want um, them to do that for themselves? Well, because I think that's the only way to truly find peace in your heart and your spirit. But, I mean, it's all about self-awareness. But you haven't done it, and so you don't know for sure that that's what it is because you haven't been able to do it. Um, I haven't been able to forgive or I haven't been able to. What, what do you mean? You haven't been able to repent in order to forgive. 
and find peace. And so you're asking them to do something that you haven't been able to do as a Christian. I don't know. I think maybe we see that differently. Um, well, you said you haven't forgiven. So if you haven't forgiven, it means that you haven't repented. Well, as I said, I have forgiven them as humans. I have forgiven them for their mistakes. Um, I struggle with what the definition of forgiveness is. Does that mean that I bring them back into my life and my children's life? Uh, for me, that is not something I can do. Um, if they were ever able to speak honestly, you can't you can't go to an abuser um, and have them say, I don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. And, by the way, we're going to have your kids spend the night at our house for the weekend. Well, yeah. I don't think that and you necessarily... In my mind, you don't. You, you don't do that. You protect right. your children at all costs. Well, I don't think you should, if what you're saying about your parents are tr- is true, then I don't think you should necessarily let them, your kids, go and hang out with them. But uh, because you have not forgiven, um, as we all know, you become like what you who you resent. And so by you resenting your parents, you have become like them, and that's why your marriages are not, have, three marriages have not lasted, and you are going to end up abusing your kids whether you want to or not because you have not forgiven, and if you don't forgive your parents, then God won't forgive you, and you're, gonna, you're separated from him, and you're going to end up... Um, maybe not physically abusing your kids, but you're not going to have the patience to deal with them properly, or you're going to overcompensate and still uh, abuse your kids by spoiling them or being too protective. And parents don't, parents don't have to No, Most parents don't apologize or repent for what they did because most of the time they don't even realize they have done anything negatively to their children in that manner. And so you don't need them to forgive, to admit that they're wrong in order for you to forgive. You forgive them by realizing they can't, couldn't help themselves, and then God will forgive you. Well, I appreciate all that you're saying. Um, you know, I have a difference in opinion. I, didn't, I don't know if you have had a chance to read my book. Yes. But my thing is, if so you, you, have, you have read the book? I, read, I didn't read all of it, but I read, I read it knowing okay. that I was going to be talking so to I you. Do, I do go into um, great detail about um, these exact situations and um, how I deal with it. And um, I certainly will not be someone who abuses my children. But you will. You won't be able to help it. There's nothing to stop you because you're not guided by God's love. You're guided by anger or resentment. Um, Right, but when you read the book, sir, you'll see that I actually am not guided by anger. This but, book is not written out of anger in any way, shape, or form. This book but is when I, written through truth. But when I read the book, I see that because you have not forgiven, you're embarrassing your parents, which shows a lack of love. Because people who love their parents would not go out and write books and make movies to embarrass their parents. Forgiveness means you forgive. Now you're free from the situation. And you show absolute love to your parents, but you move on with your life. You don't embarrass your parents. Well, this book isn't written that way. I think when you read the entire book, that you'll see that. But you got your father looking, your father and mother looking like a monster, looking like monsters. No, no, I don't. I, I, I don't villainize my parents in this book. I humanize them just like anyone else, because people can't learn from villains. They can learn from humans, just like people learn more from Chris through this story because he's, 
you know, I take him beyond that iconic literary figure he's become and humanize him with but, the understanding of what drove him to do. And but Chris, Chris, because he didn't overcome his anger, he was weak in life. He ended up dying at an early age, and that's not a good way to live. Oh, he's no, not, he overcame a great deal. He yeah. overcame a great deal, sir. Let me take a quick break. My final segment with Kareem. Back in a moment, sir. Okay, my final um, segment, and I've enjoyed talking with Kareem McCannellis. Her book is The Wild Truth. You can get it at any major bookstore, uh, Amazon.com, anywhere, folks. It's, very, it's out there, and I recommend that you check it out. Um, Kareem, why did three husbands leave you? Well, with all due respect, sir, um, I just want to say something about what you were saying before. You know, Chris, my brother, did live a a beautiful life, and he died at peace um, because of the path he had chosen in life. And at the end, when you're giving your life to God, um, that's the best that we can all hope for, is that we're at peace, and Chris was. But Chris um, died at the age of 24 of starvation in the wilderness, and and, and it sounded like he had anger, too, toward his parents, so he didn't know how to deal with it, so he ran off to well, be by that's himself. That you're not, and that's not the way, that's not a good life. Uh, we're supposed to have a long life if we believe in God, a long piece I, of life, not die at an early age. Well, I think that what makes the difference in someone's life is the quality of their existence, not the quantity. And Chris lived his life in a very pure and beautiful way. And I think that that is what is important. And he didn't blame his parents in the end for his death. And I don't blame Walt and Billy for his death. I hold them accountable for his But he didn't forgive them. It's all like he didn't, he didn't forgive them. So he didn't know how to deal with life. So he ran off into the woods and, uh, he, he, he went off to do the things he needed to do in order to find that peace. And none of us know how Chris felt when he died, and, and you don't know that any more than I do, although I'm sure that I can make a determination closer since I knew him better than anyone else. Well, then how do you know he found—you can't find peace unless you forgive. Well, sir, did you read Into the Wild? Uh, not all of it. No, I, I, I tell okay. you, I read some of it knowing that I was going to be talking to you this morning. No, but I not didn't, my book. I, my book's oh, Into, into the Wild. No, I did not read Into the Wild, no. Okay, or see the film. Okay. Right. So, I, I, with all due respect, I completely understand and realize that you can't possibly read every full book for every right. author that you have on your show. Yes. And I'm very happy to come back on your show again with you after you've actually had time if you decide to read my book. But... You know, you haven't, I know you haven't been able to read much of the book, or you would have known, you wouldn't have had to ask me if I was married, because I discussed very openly in the book. But why did three men, why did three marriages end in divorce? Were you difficult to live with? uh, Well, no, I had, I left one marriage because I was being physically abused, and I think that's a sign of my strength. I left another marriage because um, my second husband, um, who read this, Book and read all the excerpts, and we are friends. We have forgiven each other for why our marriage fell apart, and he has apologized for that. And I wrote, you know, that's something that was a beautiful experience after 18 years, but I wanted him to read what I wrote about him in the book with all due respect and fairness. And he said to me, Kareem, this is exactly accurate. This is exactly what happened. And he um, became a drug addict. And I've never done a drug in my life, and it was something that. Um, was a very disrespectful situation, and I was realized that I was either going to be brought down into a hole with him or I was going to survive. 
and I left my second husband because of that. Um, my third husband and I have a wonderful relationship. We do things with our children together all the time, and I think that that is a sign of teaching our daughters what the lessons of unconditional love are. But I have to um, tell you, you I, <clears throat> a lot of folks are writing these types of books and exposing their parents and exposing their fathers. They never really expose what their bad behavior is in these relationships, and they never forgive. And I'm under the impression that the intent is not to forgive. The intent is to make money and fame from these books because if they forgave their parents, and as you're going to want your children to do with you, you're going to want them to forgive you for the mistake that you're making with them. And because, you know, my parents made mistakes with me and my grandparents whooped me and did things, but I forgave them. And when I forgave them, I have absolute love for them. And there was, there is nothing. I would not go out and just write books and embarrass my parents because I haven't forgiven. Forgiveness, I, I really recommend you forgive so that God can forgive you and you won't pass this on to your children. Well, I don't believe I'm doing that. And I have heard your show and read some of your pieces that you've written online, and I do see you calling out truth. I do see you calling out people in this world, political leaders, people um, that are out in the public eye for their mistruths and the things that you feel they're doing wrong. And I don't feel that you're doing that to embarrass those people or out of hatred or anger. I think you're doing that out of your love for truth. And I think that when you talk about... Um, uniting races through truth. I don't think that you are trying to put down any race. I think that you are simply trying to do exactly that. I believe that about you, that you are uniting people through truth, and that is what I'm doing. Um, at the very end of my book, if you care to read the book, um, you will see that I talk about how my hope that removing this final mask from my parents will bring upon them some relief and possibly lead to some healing within my family. So I do write about but that. But um, you're not going to do that this way. The way to do that is to forgive your parents so that you can show them love. They have never been shown uh, by a living experience love. And unless you forgive them, you're never going to show that. And that's not going to cause them to get any better or anything. They may just stay away from you forever. With my mother, um, I forgave her. And she didn't have to apologize for what she'd done, though, even though she did. She admitted she was wrong. But had not, I still showed my mother love. And by showing her love, just before she died, she was able to forgive my father for his failing, and he forgave her for hers. But had I not forgiven them, that would not, may not would have happened for them. And so you're not showing your parents love by writing books about them. You show them love by forgiving them as God has forgiven you. Well, that's not what the book is about, sir, but I appreciate uh, your opinion. I, I'd, I'd like you to read the book before you formulate your opinion. I will. And, Corrine, I have you back. I, I, I really, it's been very good talking to you. Thanks for coming on, and Merry Christmas. You too. All right. We're going to take a break. 888-775-3773. Back in a moment. Uh, Larry Pratt is coming up at the top of the second hour. You know, I've come to realize in life, folks, writing all these books about your parents and putting all your private business in the streets and out there looking silly is not the answer to 
a peaceful soul and is not love is a way to fame and some fortune, but it doesn't solve problems. God said that uh, we should honor our parents. And the way that you honor your parents is by not holding grudges toward them, but to forgive them for the mistakes that they make so that you don't make the same mistakes with your children. Because once you forgive your parents, then God will forgive you and make you free. So when you start a family, a new generation starts. And you, you, in life, we forgive our parents, even if they never admit that they're wrong. God forgive us. He doesn't hold things against. Just think about what we as human beings do in life. And uh, God forgive us, especially when we realize that we're wrong. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't write books and embarrass you out there like that. Um, and we need to forgive because if you don't forgive your parents, you're not honoring your parents. And you're never going to really be a part of having a relationship with God. The family was set up, ordered by God for a reason. And, and when you forgive them, you don't have to hang out with them if you don't want to. But the one thing about it, you will be able to hang out with them and not be affected anymore. But love will operate through you and possibly change your parents. I saw it happen with my parents. And you're... Uh, Corrine need to forgive her parents, whether they forgive or not, not try to, you know, mate them or whatever she's trying to do. That's not the way the game works. Because let's say that her parents apologize. You know what, Corrine, I'm so sorry, or Jesse or whomever. We made some horror mistakes, and we were truly sorry. We didn't realize what we were doing. We are out of control. And and if, if Corrine or Jesse or anyone don't forgive, it's still not going to change your heart. Forgiveness is not required, does not require the other person to admit that they're wrong. God said, forgive me as I forgive. I mean, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive me as I forgive others. And God tell us to forgive, even if they don't admit that they're wrong. That's the key to freedom, not to go out and write these crazy books and embarrass one another. Because once you put your business out there, people judge you. And I don't care how close they are to you, they never forget it. They have a secret judgment of you. Two more hours to go. If you're not getting into the show by way of radio in your town, all three hours, go to barninfo.org. Continue to listen. Larry Pratt coming up. You can have the kingdom of heaven right here on earth. You don't have to wait to die. And I'm a living witness to that. Because I have no anger at all. None. I have perfect peace. I forgave my, my mother. I forgave my father. I realized they couldn't help themselves. And once I forgave them, God forgave me and set me free. And that's what he needs from you. And that's what the women need from you. That's what the children need. And that's what the world needs. Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson's Sunday service webcasts offer a simple, refreshing, life-changing message that enables you to understand your Christian faith and unlock the secrets that can help you deal with life in a stress-free manner. You can watch these Sunday Talks live from the comfort of your home by going to bondinfo.org every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. You can also email or call in with your questions and comments.
Hold on, Helen. He's going to help you. Hold on. I don't want to talk to Curtis. If you were saved, you would have the sermon on what's going on. What's the got to do with any damn thing? Are you uh, talking about uh, saved? <laughs> saved for what? Peter. Yes, sir. You have a change, man. You're the same old color Negro. The majority of Caucasian people in the United States of America are racist to the core. It was born that Where's way. Where's your proof? And Larry, you need to yeah. get over your racism. Stop being a racist. You got to be saved, Helen. You got to <laughs> love Jesus. Jesus was murdered. Who saved Jesus? No, you didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Find out what all the fuss is about. The Jesse Lee Peterson Radio Show, streaming live Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern, 6 to 9 a.m. Pacific at www.bondaction.org. That's bondaction.org. Heard around the world by everybody and their mama. United, uniting the races with truth instead of dividing them with lies. We're also rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Welcome to the second hour of the show today. Thank you so much for being with me. We've got to be getting to your emails and Facebook comments, tweets, and all that good stuff at the bottom of this hour. Um, and I want to get into this thing about Cuba. Obama normalizing our relationship with Cuba. My first question, I have a guest coming up here live Pratt in a minute. My, my first question is, why did he do it? What is he up to? And as soon as I asked that question yesterday, I think I know why. I think I got it. We're going to get into all of that. And also, Sony Pictures, Pictures, caving in to our enemies. What has happened to my country? What has happened to my country? Some of you may not be aware of this. The the Senate confirmed 37-year-old pro-Obama liberal Vivek Murthy to Surgeon General. And this guy claimed guns are a health issue. Guns are, are a health, health issue. Isn't that amazing? And the Senate has confirmed him as uh, Surgeon General of the United States of America. I have with me my good friend and someone I've known for a long time, Larry Pratt, and Larry is the executive director of Gun Owners of America. And he's been the executive director for, 35, for more than 35 years. Isn't that amazing? And you may have seen Larry, in, uh, you, have, you may have seen him interviewed by Pierce Morgan in uh, Pierce's final years at CNN. Larry, good morning, sir. Merry Christmas, and welcome back to the show. Merry Christmas to you, Jesse. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, uh, uh, Piers Morgan, uh, actually, after he had interviewed a series of Second Amendment advocates, uh, including yours truly, um, uh, had left CNN, wrote a column for the Daily Mail in London, and admitted that he had failed to convince the Yanks 
my words, uh, that we got our war for independence wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. He was, um, uh, certainly when he interviewed me the first time, he was, uh, he was hurting himself. And even as uh, the interview was going along, and I, I remember distinctly anger rising, uh, because of the absolute rudeness of this guy. I thought, wait a minute, cool your jets, Pratt. <laughs> this guy is hurting himself. Just let him go on. Yeah. And indeed, that's what happened. <laughs> I had liberals tell me. I agree with what Piers was saying, but uh, I was embarrassed. Uh, I know, man. What a mess, huh? <laughs> you don't usually think of a Brit being that hot. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm married to a Latina, and uh, you know I've seen people that can be pretty fiery, but uh, i tell you what, Jeeves the butler uh, came out of the closet on this one. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, and I think, frankly, he helped. I, I can point to at least one tangible way he helped kill the very gun control measure that was front and center following the Newtown tragedy, which was why I was on his program. Right. Uh, And that is so many people contacted Gun Owners of America during and after that interview that it crashed our server three times in the next, I don't know, two, three days. I remember uh, in a panic getting a hold of our computer guy and saying, (laughs) get us some more server space. (laughs) Uh. uh, As a result... The email list that we accumulated, people that went on to uh, the list to get our alerts about what's happening in Washington, that list grew to the point that when we mailed it, as the Newtown legislation was coming to a head, all of a sudden (laughs) we had such a firepower in that list that our big concern at the time was that the NRA was supporting an expansion of the background check, something which they had invented, something which we had warned them, not only is it unconstitutional, this was like 25 years ago, but it's going to give the government a database. It doesn't matter that you're writing into the law a requirement to destroy names and addresses after 24 hours from the time of the check, you know the government's going to keep that information. And uh, while we we don't have their admission, uh, frontal admission, we do know that they have had uh, researchers do longitudinal studies of that database. How do you do a longitudinal study on data that's been destroyed after 24 <laughs> hours? So anyway, we... Uh, uh. Uh, we made that argument, and we said, okay, if you're a member of the NRA to this uh, Piers Morgan memorial email list, would you please contact this guy at the NRA, gave him phone number, and ask him to urge the powers that be to fully oppose uh, the expansion of the background check, which meant even people that were, uh, say you and I live in the same city, and, and I uh, want to sell you a, a handgun, most states, I can do that, uh, but under this legislation, we'd have had to go and uh, put all that into the background check. There would have been an addition to the gun registry that these folks 
uh, surely are maintaining illegally. And so we were able to get the NRA to do a 180, and they publicly opposed it a week after we put that email out. Wow. I'm not sure that maybe we didn't crash their servers. That's great, man. <laughs> wow. So, Piers Morgan, uh, we thank you wherever you are. Uh, you yeah. killed gun control post-Newtown. <laughs> right on. I think uh, Piers helped CNN rating with those gun, gun debates. Oh, yeah. Uh, at the time... He took the show uh, from Larry King, who, when he retired, uh, there were two million viewers. The time I went on the show, it was down to a half a million. At the time he left CNN television, uh, it was at a quarter of a million. So his business model was to flip off as many Americans as possible with his arrogant British accent. <laughs> 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 it was like jujitsu. Uh, you just step aside and let his own momentum carry him into the wall. <laughs> That's amazing. What is he doing now? Where is he? Do you know? Lost track because he was working with CNN off television, and then after several months, he just he left. We we knew that that was announced, and we don't know what he's doing. Um, it may be that he's just sulking in his Los Angeles estate, which has signs on the entrance saying, uh, beware armed security. Amazing. So it's okay for yeah. a paid guy to have a gun, but you know, for you and me to walk around packing a piece, forget it. Uh, that's right. Isn't that, that, what hypocrites, huh? <laughs> Man. Purely. 100%. <laughs> My producer is telling me that he thought uh, Piers was in charge of the Daily Mail USA. So oh, okay. I, yeah. Well, I don't know uh, about that. That may be where he had that column then and how he had the column that right. admitted that he had uh, not succeeded in convincing us dumb Yanks that uh, our guns are too dangerous for us to have. <laughs> That's right. When I when I come back, Larry, I want to ask you about this new Surgeon General Vivac. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I think so. And were you surprised at um, the Senate of, uh, confirming this man right after this break? All righty. 888-7753-773-888-77. Jesse Larry Pratt is with me back in a moment. Praise the Lord, and I want to say, Brother Reverend Jesse, this is my first time I've heard you. Everything you've said is heavy on my heart. Hi, I'm James Hake, producer of the Jesse Lee Peterson Radio Show. We want to get on the radio in every major city. Donate to Bond to help us do that. Sponsor Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, or Oakland. Call 1-800-411-BOND or go to bondinfo.org for more information. Larry Pratt is with me, Gun Owners of America. Larry, um, the Senate confirmed 37-year-old pro-Obama liberal Vivek Murthy to Surgeon General. And this guy claimed guns are a health issue. First, were you, did you know and were you surprised he was confirmed by the Senate? We knew that the confirmation had occurred and we were, uh, frankly, rather disappointed because Senator Cruz uh, and Senator Lee uh, would have been two of the senators that could have 
uh, kept that from happening, at least when it did, uh, this guy was 15th in line on the Senate agenda. And all of a sudden, our our faithful uh, warriors were AWOL. It's as if they went home over the weekend thinking that all was well and all was not well. And uh, Harry Reid, uh, he may be a, a person I strongly dislike, but I give him credit. He saw an opportunity, and wham, he took it. Uh, so uh, it shouldn't have happened. It certainly shouldn't have happened when it did. Uh, and uh, hopefully we will be able to see the, these uh senators learning from what happened. So those people that were AWOL, they didn't vote to confirm this guy? Or not to they confirm didn't, him? They didn't use the parliamentary procedures that would have been available to them to object, to require uh, extensive debate, uh, not a filibuster, just the hours that are required if you make certain motions. So there were a lot of tools in their bag that weren't used because they left their tool bag uh, on the Senate floor, as it were, and went home. And uh, so, oops, uh, that's not uh, not real good, and hopefully uh, that's not going to happen again. What does this mean for gun rights? Well, it means that Murphy is going to use his, very likely, let's say that, use his position to fund grants to various anti-Second Amendment researchers who will try to confirm uh, the theories that Murthy and others like him have that somehow guns are an epidemic. Uh, I would say guns are an epidemic. I would agree with that only if you were to say that it's the absence of guns that is the epidemic when crime is involved. You've got... uh, Sorry, somebody's working on my computer, and, and they got it to work. <laughs> but uh, Murthy is uh, uh, going to be able to fund folks in academia that think that guns are some sort of a epidemic problem, and uh, that uh, uh, were they to be honest, they would show what John Lott, Dr. John Lott, and others. Many others have shown using his own data because he was willing to let other social scientists uh, falsify, if you will, negate uh, uh, what he had found from the data that he studied, namely all of the crime data in all of the counties of the United States. John Lott and others have examined and found that, you know, there's two things that are actually causal variables. Uh, If a cop is present, crime seldom happens. And if there is concealed carry in a jurisdiction, crime is going to be less, and it does go down. And other factors, race and income and uh, whatever, you know, he he invited people to suggest whatever variable they could come up with that might have an impact on crime, density of population. None of those things were causative. Uh, but the the two that were a cop uh, in front of your business, if you will, uh, and concealed carry laws in the jurisdiction, that did make a difference. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking as you're speaking, Barack Obama uh, just normalized um, 
America's relationship with Cuba. Uh, he, he got this guy confirmed, be back confirmed. Uh, he went around the Constitution and Congress and did a, a executive order for amnesty for illegal aliens. Um, this has been one scandal after, after another one. Yep. How is it that Obama is able to get all these negative things done? It's as though nobody is watching him. No one is against what he's doing. When I say no one, means the government, folks in the government. How come he can get away with so much? Every, I mean, all these, everything he wants to do, he's doing it. This thing in Cuba, Congress and the Senate wasn't even aware that it was even happening. This, this has been a secret deal going on for a long time, and they were not even aware of it. How is this? Well, I think in a, if I could just use one word, it would be spinelessness. Um, the Republican establishment is maybe they're like the battered wife. At any time, she could walk out the door and just leave this horrible situation that she's in. But she doesn't. There's a psychological prison that entraps her. And I think that's what's operating with the Republican leadership. They uh, have convinced themselves, and I'm sure you've seen articles and maybe even headlines to the fact that the uh, uh, Republicans don't dare shut down the government for fear of yeah. the political consequences. Yeah. Well, they had a partial shutdown for a few days uh, in the run-up to this election, and it really hurt them a lot. I mean, they yeah. only got nine new Senate seats, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just can't stand to have those kinds of def of defeats, can you? Uh, <laughs> you know, throw me in that briar patch. Prairie Rabbit would say, I want to have some more of those defeats. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. <laughs> and, and, and it's a – you've got professional politicians on Capitol Hill intoning that mantra. And it, it doesn't – it seems as if they have a fact-free mentality. You can – all those election results at them, and they just bounce off. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, because of it, we're running out of time here, because of it, these next two years, even though the Republican, quote-unquote, will be taking over both houses, these next two years are going to be hell for America because, you know, I was telling uh, one of the smartest white men on this side of heaven, Patrick Rooney, he's behind the headline guy, that I don't think things are going to change, even uh, though the Republicans take it over both houses, they don't. They have been traumatized, and they don't seem to be able to stop Obama. Uh, not enough of them uh, seem to have that willingness to yeah. stop him. And you're right. You know, it could be done. All yeah, it they can be have done. To do is cut his money off. Yeah, but then he might shut down the government and blame us. I know. Isn't that crazy? Oh, guys. Oh. <laughs> Get me a box of Kleenex, please. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, tell the folks how to get to your website and why they need to go there. We're at gunowners.org, and the reason to be there is to sign up for the legislative alerts. That was how we uh, killed uh, the gun control legislation that followed Newtown. Uh, we sent people notices of what was happening, and in those alerts we embed an email that they can send 
to their member of Congress. They don't even have to know who their member of Congress is. The, the system knows from their address exactly what congressional district they're in. And it was that tool uh, at gunowners.org that killed gun control. Larry, so good to have you back on and talk to you. I wish you and your family a merry, merry, merry Christmas and happy new year. And to yours as well, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you. All right now. 888-77-JESSE, your email, Facebook, comments, and phone calls are coming up after this break. Heard around the world by everybody and their mama, the Jesse Lee Peterson Radio Show. I have with me the one and the only Ted Nugent. Reverend Jesse, you are our blood brother. We salute you, thank you, and give you a real strong all-American attaboy. When I grow up, I want to be like Congressman Alan West. He is bold, he is outspoken. You're already there. David Limbar is with me. David, good morning, sir. Welcome to the show. How are you, Jesse Lee, my hero? And Coulter is with me, my friend. It is an honor to be here. Oh, it's so great to talk to you. You are the best. Talk about courage. Dr. Carson, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you so much. I always love hearing you and everything you have to say. It reeks of wisdom as well. The Jesse Lee Peterson Radio Show, streaming live Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific at bondinfo.org. That's bondinfo.org. Okay, folks, welcome back. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. You can get involved by calling 888-775-3773. It is email, Facebook. you got mail. Message. Lots of it. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Andre, how are you? I'm well, how are you? All is well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Andre, you heard that interview in the first hour with that woman, Corrine uh, McCandless. I kind of did, yes. She wrote about the wild tooth by her family, and but she had not forgiven. What did you think of the interview? Um, overall, I liked the interview. It was very um, informative, and it just goes to show that Yes, she had a lot of information to say, and she had a lot to say, but the the main point of it was what you grasped onto and was the unforgiveness part. And really, all the stuff that she has said so far and all the stuff pretty much in the book would be pointless if yeah, yeah if that forgiveness part is not there, then all the rest is just really nothing. It sure is. That is so true. It's just wasted knowledge. Yeah. Without forgiveness. What didn't you like about the interview? Um, no, I I liked I liked I liked the interview. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got a uh speaking of texts and emails, I got a text from Ways of Gray A C and A C is the quote unquote conservative aspect of Ways of Gray and Jamie is the liberal aspect of Waves of Gray dot com. Uh and he responded to that interview with that woman in the first hour. He says, and it's a long one, but I'll make it short. I do believe that you can forgive, but still tell the truth that may end up embarrassing parents or others. What do you think about that first statement? Um, you don't have to put it out there like that. <laughs> 
Thank if, you. If you've forgiven it, then as you said, it's just done, and you don't you don't really have to put it out there like that. Now, if if it's immediate family members, and you're having some sort of a right. conversation, and somehow you know you're bringing up things that need to be said, and somehow that embarrasses them, I get it. Yeah, you know that's that's a different thing. But putting it out there for the world to know, that's a different story. Nowhere in the scripture where God tell us to write books about your parents or go on TV about your parents and embarrass them, and that's going to do good. Um, He said that go to your enemy or the person who violated you or that you're mad at, forgive them. And then if they don't respond, take a witness, forgive them, and they don't still don't respond, let the dust hit your feet. Forget about it, let it go, and move on. Nowhere does he say, go out and embarrass your families and or parents. And I guarantee you, there's nowhere in the world where that is helping people to forgive by embarrassing your parents. It is the most, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. And it is not love, and it is not honoring your parents. There's no honor in embarrassing your parents. And as you embarrass your parents, you can mark it down. Your kids are going to embarrass you in the public because you haven't forgiven, and you're going to, no way around it, you're going to end up doing the same thing to your kids, and it will come back on you. Uh, and, And he goes on to say, that's what you do. I don't embarrass my parents. Uh, this truth may help others avoid downfalls in the future. He's saying that by people writing about their parents and embarrassing them, it's going to help, uh, may help downfalls, help others avoid downfalls in the future. But he, but she hasn't forgiven. It's right. not helping anyone. It's not going to help anyone. No. And the people that she's talking to is not going to help them. When I talk to people about the failing of parents and what they go through, my primary focus is to get them to understand that their parents couldn't help themselves and that they need to forgive their parents because you become like your parents, you take on the same spirit, you end up doing the same thing. Correct. So the conversation is really not about the parents, it's about themselves. Amen. I can go on and on, but AC doesn't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, AC, he said it. I didn't say uh, it. <laughs> well, you're thinking it. <laughs> uh, in one last paragraph, in this last part of what he said, he goes on and on. He said, she is helping bring awareness to the next generation, which may be good. I totally disagree. Me Again, too. we'll go back to the fact that she hasn't forgiven. It's really not doing any good. The only awareness that she is bringing, and people who write books like this, is uh, or go on TV or wherever you go and talk about your folks. The only awareness she is bringing is that she has accused her parents of being bad people and now the folks are going to hate the parents and have a false sympathy for her, which, is, which does no one any good. What do you think? I agree with you. How sad is this? It's common, typical. Um, you see this out there, especially today with a lot of people. And 
sometimes I think it's kind of exaggerated too, where it is. Yeah. It's geared towards emotionalizing, you know, the reader or the viewer to feel sympathy towards them, and that's how you. Now, I'm not accusing this person of anything. I'm just right. saying this in general. Right. That's how you sell things. Yes. That's how you get people to buy. And her parents don't want anything to do with her. And they are still together. The father and mother still together. And they're like, no. <laughs> don't want anything to do with that one. <laughs> and, and, and forgiveness. People just don't really understand the goodness of forgiveness. They don't understand the goodness of forgiveness. Forgiveness means to forget. Because if you, I hear other people say, well, I will forgive, but I ain't going to forget. And then you haven't forgiven. Yeah, that doesn't, doesn't work like that. That's, I mean, just that notion is dumb. <laughs> Can you imagine that God forgive us, but he's not forgetting? I wouldn't want that. What kind of God is that? <laughs> Anyway, AC, you got to go back to the table and rewrite your your text. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I still love you, AC. <laughs> AC has been my friend for over 20 years. Wow. Way over. AC was my friend before I started Bond. That's amazing. He was a longtime friend before I started Bond. That's cool. I met him at church. <laughs> back in a moment. His best days will be some of my worst. Very interesting song. Bring back so many uh, memories. <laughs> Breaking up with women and they had freedom and I didn't. <laughs> very, very interesting song. Anyway, welcome back. Email Facebook time, Andre. Let's get to them. This first one is about... Uh, um, my appearance on Sean Hannity, uh, Fox News show there the other day, um, I, I tweeted out, I'm about to go on Fox News with Sean Hannity. White folks attending to the black man for a change. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. So what it is, I'm in the makeup room. And they were, you know, they were putting the uh, mic on me. They were putting the, putting the makeup on. And I think Ermis or somebody took a picture of it and we tweeted it out. <laughs> how the white man was taking care of me now. <laughs> and, pe- and people responded to that. <laughs> All right. The first one's from Priscilla Lynn Tharp. Priscilla says, it's about time, Jesse. You look snazzy with your nice jacket with jeans. Told trendsetter. See there? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the other one is from my appearance on Fox Business Channel with Neil Cavuto, uh, talking about Jackson and Shopton are not the gatekeepers to the black community. Very good interview. I thank God for that one, as, as well as the one with Sean as well. Lots of folks re- responded to that interview. All right. Uh, first one's from Tina Perkins. Tina says, good job, Jesse. You must be getting to Gerald and Gregory. Reference to regular naysayers on your page. Laugh out loud. If not, they wouldn't be trolling on your page. Keep up God's work, brother. Yes. Thank you so much. Next one's from Gregory Johnson. Gregory says, yep, Neil Cavuto, now on the Uncle Tom Cabin show, need a Oreo to badmouth ministers, get Uncle Negro. Did a fine job shuffling <laughs> That's the feet. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Did a fine job shuffling the feet. Yes, Amasa. Them minister bad for blacks. <laughs> he got F-O-O. Yeah, foe. Bl- bl- bad foe, black. 
Yes, Ambassador. <laughs> when you sit, we sit. <laughs> Uncle Negro, that would be me. Yeah, he's talking about you. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uncle Tom, white on the inside, black on the outside. But thank you. I appreciate that. Nice words, by the way. Nice, nice comments. Uh, next one's from Tony Mayer. Tony says, you look very suave and debonair. Jesse, we're proud of you, sir. See, there's somebody like Uncle Tom. <laughs> Uncle Negro. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Next one's from El Patrick Russo. El Patrick says, the tie is fine, but the face is deprable. <laughs> Stick to radio, jeez. <laughs> I'm telling you. Displorable. <laughs> right? No, deplorable. Oh, is no, that, deplorable. Uh, thank you. Now I know I'm black and slow. You didn't say it right either. I was about to say it. James said Jesse was right for once. Thank you, James. You're so kind. Thank you, uh, El Paso. All right. Okay. Next one's regarding Jesse's tweet. Maybe Jay Z and Beyonce influenced Obama. Obama to uh, restore relations with Cuba. Oh, yeah. Why do you think, I want to know, folks, why do you think Obama restored relationship with Cuba? What is behind that? And he did it in secrecy. And he released, he got an American prison release that was there for five years, a Jewish guy that was over there trying to secretly install the Internet in um, in the homes of some of the Jews in that area, got caught with the jail, with the prison for five years. While at the same time, he released three Cubans in this country. Congress didn't know all this was going on. The Senate didn't know. Uh, apparently, the Pope was working with Barack on, on this behind the scene, releasing the prisons. Did you hear about that? No. So why do you think, folks, that Obama have done this with Cuba. Why do you think he did it? I really want to know. 888-775-3773. Okay, people responded to that. Go ahead. Yes. First one's from Sebi at Smooth Sebi. Sebi says, very good observation on Obama regarding his normalization of relations with Cuba. Hashtag uh, renegade revolutionary. Obama is a mess, huh? Obama is a ghetto mess. You ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Christopher. Christopher Adamo. Christopher says Obama gambles that his successor, even if a Republican, won't have the spine fortitude to actively reverse his policies. They're not doing anything about it now. No. All they're doing, I saw Marco Rubio and others talking about it. But like everything else that Obama has done, that's all going to happen with this. They're going to complain about it, and that's it. They're just going to forget about it. Just words, just speeches. That's all that will happen. My World Net Daily column for this week is a time to torture. We got uh, lots of emails about that. Here are just a few. First one's from Tatiana Covington. She says, let's say I had a kid. Let's say someone kidnapped him or her. Let's say I caught whoever that was, and they refused to say where the kid was. Of course, I would torture to find out where. 
All day and all night. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thank you. Next one's from Dogem. This person says, I'm disappointed this quote-unquote man of God justifies acting like barbarians. That would be me. Yes. Granted, on a smaller scale, when opposing barbarians, it's a non... You want to do it after the break? Yes. Eight 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 seven seven Jesse. We're going to take a quick break. Back in a moment. Hi, I'm Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Do you feel you're sacrificing your child to public schools? We have started the Bond Academy, a private school for boys and girls, grades 1 through 12. We are bringing prayer back to school and bringing education back to basics. Reading, writing, and math, the Constitution, U.S. history, and founding fathers, building, tools, and trades, creation, and ethics, how to be boys and girls of character. Enroll your child in the Bond Academy. We also need your financial support. Go to bondinfo.org or call 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-2663. To all those who are going through emotional ups and downs, and for those who have fear and doubt, and for those who worry, who are depressed and want to commit suicide or have tried to commit suicide, for those who are lonely and lost, you know, you just don't know what to do. You pray to God and things still are not working. It's never going to work for you until you learn to love your fathers. You got to forgive your father whether they were there or not and love him. Otherwise, you would never, ever, ever know God. For expert advice on relationships, personal and spiritual issues, Bond offers counseling to individuals, couples, and families. Call Bond to schedule an appointment. Call 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-2663. We have one more hour to go, folks. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. If you're not getting all three hours by way of radio in your town, go to barninfo.org, continue to listen live. Let's finish these emails here about my column, A Time to Torture. Okay, this one's from Dalgum. This person says, I'm disappointed this quote-unquote man of God justifies acting like barbarians granted on a smaller scale when opposing barbarians. It's a non-sequitur. On the other hand, he does get props for mentioning the torturous deaths of the innocent at Waco. Now, if you could just clear his head where 9-11 is concerned. Um, only thing I need to say to you, sir, I guess you are, sir, or ma'am, uh, is it Tatiana? No, this one's Dogum. No, I want to, but she, the, the, the person before him. Yes. Tatiana Coverton said it all. She explained it. Let's say I had a kid. Let's say someone kidnapped him or her. Let's say I caught whoever that was, and they refused to say where the kid was. Of course, I would torture to find out where. Hashtag common sense. That's all I got to say to you. (laughs) That settles it. Uh But thanks for your email. 
All right, next one's from Sylvia McKay. Sylvia says, to use the Bible to justify torture is one of the greatest blasphemies I have ever read. <laughs> torture violates every biblical principle. The end justify the means. To stand before God and say, yes, I did evil because they did it first, not me. Uh, Sylvia, right? Sylvia. You need Jesus. Praise why Jesus. I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say except for I really appreciate you emailing me, but rethink what you wrote. All right? And I do, but I do appreciate you emailing me. I absolutely appreciate it. Um, follow me on Twitter. Like Twitter at JLP Talk, at JLP Talk. And like me on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Jesse Lee Peterson. We do have one more hour to go. And very interesting subject coming up for you. Yes, it's about the president and Big Mama, his boss, the backbone of his family, Michelle Obama. Back in a moment. Michelle, the rock of the Obama family. She knows she's still the boss. Jesse Lee Peterson, I just wanted to say you're a breath of whatever America's been needing and looking forward to. I'm just so impressed with you. I found you on YouTube about a month ago, and I'm hooked. I just, I love the way you get to the truth. You call people out. I just want to say, you know, keep it going, man. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. I've come to realize that if you're not really of truth, you're not building a solid foundation. And I see the death of truth in my country today. The truth is dying and the lie is coming forward and that's not good for America. I want to invite you to go to my website, make a donation, buy books, all the other money go back into what we're doing here. Bondinfo.org, bondinfo.org. A call 1-800-411-2663, 1-800-411-BOND. Uniting the races with truth instead of dividing them with lies. We're also rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Welcome to the third hour of the show today. It is Thursday already. Believe it or not, the 18th of December, one week from Christmas. A week from Christmas today. Isn't that amazing? James. Yeah, Jesse, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, huh? Yeah, it's insane. I am taking your phone calls at 888-775-3773. 888-77-Jesse. You're too white. I know. You're so white. I hate white people. Every <laughs> iota. I am a white man. <laughs> and that's because it's... It's winter time. No, it's because I don't go outside ever. I forget that the sun exists sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and because you're not going outside, you your skin is just getting whiter. Cool. It is cool? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't mean to kill the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> White people have it hard when the winter time comes. Why? Because they can't get a tan. But if you never see yourself, it doesn't bother you. 
It only bothers everybody else that has to look at you. You don't ever see yourself? Uh-uh. You don't look in the mirror? Hardly. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Because I'm not vain. Uh, <laughs> so when you comb your hair and all that, you don't look in the mirror? Oh, yeah, I do. I, I mean, I don't comb my hair really, but I, yeah. You don't comb your hair? No. What, what do you do to it? I mean, I run my hands through it just to make sure it's not all weird, but I didn't do that this morning, so hopefully it doesn't look all weird. It look weird. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, you put some of that sticky stuff on your hair to make it stay in one place. No, I don't. What's that on your hair to make it stay in one place? Because right. now it looks dry and everywhere. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> you made it worse. <laughs> anyway, enough about your whiteness. Yeah. Barack Obama and Big Mama Michelle did an interview with People Magazine, and the the interview is titled, right? Yes. The Obama, How We Deal With Our Own Racist Experiences. First of all, why did they do this interview? Um, the media is really into this stuff, so they're they're begging the Obamas for that. The Obamas opened up about raising their daughters, the impact of stereotypes, and what's on the POTUS dance party playlist. People magazine interview. They like this stuff. Barack Obama claims he was, in this interview, Barack Obama claims he was mistaken for a valet serviceman while waiting for his car. Someone handed him their keys. Well, yeah, Obama said... And what's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's harmless. It's really a harmless... Error. Right? And you're about to say Obama said what? He said, I don't, there's no black man, there's no black male my age who's a professional who hasn't come out of a restaurant and is waiting for their car and somebody didn't hand them their car keys. He said, said the president, adding, yes, it happened to him. What a dummy. Yeah. What a dummy. Well, he's not a dummy. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. I have never been standing in a restaurant restaurant waiting for my car and someone handed me the keys to go against their car or park their car. Uh-huh. And if they did, I wouldn't take it personally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Obama said, it's one thing for I'm me. I'm white. <laughs> I already said that's because I'm white. <laughs> <laughs> On the inside and it yeah. comes out, shines through. But they wouldn't know that. Oh, it shines through. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> it radiates. <laughs> but he said what? It's one thing for me to be mistaken for a waiter at a gala. It's another thing for my son to be mistaken for a robber and be handcuffed. Or worse, if he happens to be walking down the street and is dressed the way teenagers dress. Like thugs. Meaning black teenagers. Like thugs. Yeah. Um, Interestingly. And so is this the son that would look like Trayvon Martin? Yes, because he doesn't have a real If he son. had one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he'd be in trouble. <laughs> okay, so uh, interestingly, Valerie Jarrett mistook a high-ranking general for a waiter at a gala and asked him for coffee. <laughs> a black guy, too, right? Yeah. He had his uniform on. Presumably black, And she yeah. thought it was a, a waiter's uniform, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and so she, he was walking by. He, she waved him down and said, oh, can I have a coffee? <laughs> <laughs> And, and he was professional and, and uh, 
polite about it, of course. And and he is black, and he is black. She's black. Iranian. She's not black. Iranian uh, people are not real blacks. But Valerie looked like a black woman. To you, she looks like she looks kind of Mexican to me. But she's neither. She's Iran. She's Persian. Are you serious? Yeah. That's wow. why. She, uh, that's why Obama's pro-Muslim. Andre, go to the mic. Andre has done this. Yeah, I've done that at Target. Done what? Where I've thought that, you know, that certain person is an employee, and I've gone up to them and asked them, you know, where can I find this, where can I find that? I've done that, too. Yeah, I see no harm in that. What's the big deal? These people are... Was it a black person? No, it was actually a white person. The reason why I did it was because they had, uh, you know how at Target they wear beige khaki pants and a red shirt? Yes. Yeah, it was just a regular guy. I went up to him and asked him, where can I find a certain item? And he said, I don't work here. And that's it. We laughed it off, and that's it. It's a shame that America allows the allow the president of the United States of America to push racism like this. Yeah. This is outright pushing racism. That doesn't exist, by the way, except from black people to white people. You know, with the stuff with the KKK and all that, we know about that. But the average white America, white American, is not a racist. And he and Big Mama out there pushing racism. You want to hear Michelle's story? Yes. She says, I tell this story, I mean, even as the first lady, during that wonderfully publicized trip I took to Target, not highly disguised, the only person who came up to me in the store was a woman who asked me to help her take something off a shelf. Because she didn't see me as the first lady, she saw me as someone who could help her. Those are the kinds of things... Those are the kinds of things. Those kinds of things happen in life, so it isn't anything new. Two years ago, she told this right. story and laughed it off. Yeah, she laughed and she it was, off. She thought it was so cute. She thought it was so nice. He was doing an interview. Yeah, with and a, she saw no problem with it at all. Right, and now she's in this magazine. She's trying to make it sound it racist, racist or something. <laughs> the help, they're the help. You the know that help. movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. She says, I think people forget that we've lived in the White House for six years. She laughed and said, before that, Barack Obama was a black man that lived in the south side of Chicago who had his share of troubles catching cabs. Taxi cabs. Right. A couple things that these people are intentionally leaving out. First, they're leaving out the fact that Crime has been out of control for so long in the urban areas around the country, mm-hmm. and that other blacks in those, commu- those communities have refused to end it, to do anything about it. And so now you have some good, decent people who are suffering with the bad, and that's what happens when you don't deal with evil. They're leaving that part out because they want to give the impression that whites and white cops are racist. Yeah. Secondly, I want to ask you, why do you think Barack Obama and Michelle, um, Eric Holder, and others are doing this? Um, To promote the notion that whites are unconsciously racist. They can't help it. For what purpose? There's a purpose behind this madness. Um, Well, to keep people divided from whites, to keep whites guilty, to... Make well, whites think twice. What about do themselves. they gain from it? Obama and the race hustlers, what do they gain from it? Because they're gaining from this. 
Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Smoke on it. Let me take a break. Okay. 888-77-JESSE. Back in a moment. Here is why Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Eric Holder, the NAACP, Jesse Jackson, the race hustlers are pushing racism. I want to go to soundbite number one. This is Mediat. Uh, Shopton still considering call for Sony head. Listen to this. Reverend, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Happy holidays, of course. Same to you. Um, big topic was going on right Give my answer. Oh, yeah. Wait. Don't play it. Don't play it. I forgot. I forgot this FS. But now you just gave my answer. You gave your answer away before I was able to give mine. But I haven't given my answer yet. Yeah, you, you gave it to me. Because I know what clip one is, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. So what were you going to say prior to it? I was going to say, remember? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that it's two things. They're giving legitimacy to all those academics who cry about white privilege and experts and legitimizing the bitterness of minorities toward whites. And they're also making the rest of us mad who are uh, normal thinking, down-to-earth people. Um, Normal whites are going to be angry about this, and it's just going to since we're angry about it, we look like angry white people, racist, blah, blah, blah. And it's just successfully dividing us. Um, and he's able to... Uh, he's able to push things, and so are the... It's legitimizing the liberals. It's like they they create these self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, but they still gain from it. They're not doing yeah, it for sure. just to get us mad... And while we're fighting, they are gaining something to hear what it is. You already know. We talked about it. Uh, Media shopped is still considering call for Sony head. Amy. Reverend, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Happy holidays, of course. Same to you. Um, Big topic that's going on right now, Sony Pictures hacking. It's been uh, announced that you'll be meeting with Amy Pascal at some point before the release of Annie. Is this something that you're looking forward to? What do you plan on? Well, I was very offended uh, by the emails that were hacked. She called me. I told her I felt. She said that she wanted to sit down in person. Mark Morial of the Urban League and uh, Cornell Brooks of the NAACP and, and uh, myself representing National Action Network will sit down with her. And we'll determine there whether we are going to join in calls for her resignation or whether she's going to really seriously deal with the fact that Hollywood really reflects a lot of what was said in, in that conversation. There's no blacks with any real decision-making power. There's no diversity at the top. This could be a time to change Hollywood. Uh, or it could be a time to just say to her that uh, we don't feel that she in any way doesn't reflect what was on that tape. We'll see. Uh, but right now, Hollywood is like the Rocky Mountains. The higher up it goes, the wider it goes. Do you think it works in her favor at all that she is the head of a studio who ultimately greenlit the Annie remake, being that Annie is now played by a black girl? Like, I mean, but but again, that's product. That's selling to consumers. Who makes the decisions? Who does the budget? Who writes the checks? That's what we want to know. And if, if people have a culture 
show of acting like it's joking about the president of the United States only watching black movies. What are we saying in 2014? Do you think North Korea is behind the hack? I don't know who's behind the hack. I know what I read on the hack. And I'm going to give her a lot of heck about the hack. Oh, sick man. That's what it's all about. It's about redistribution. So he's not going to set Sony free until they put black people, their friends, not just any black, you know, regular black folks, but their friends in positions of power at Sony's. This is embarrassing to black people because it's saying that black people can't do it in freedom like white people can. And that they black don't people care have about, to get in by way of affirmative action through this. But they don't care about black people. It's not they don't care that blacks are stupid. <laughs> they care about getting what they want and they'll use if they cared about black people looking silly, they wouldn't keep blacks angry by this farce of racism, right? But black people don't even care about black people looking silly. They agree with these people. That's right. And that's unfortunate. They can't see what they're doing. But it's about getting wealth. And getting power for themselves, they he said Sony is white at the top, right? He yeah. wanted to be black. Why can't they follow T- Tyler Perry's example and make their own? That's thing? right. They have individuals no, make their own thing. They it's not have, even about race; it's about individualism. They have no shame about themselves. They're of their father, the devil, and they have no shame. Uh, a, a common sense thinking person, a decent person, would say, "I can do my own thing. I don't need to take Sony's stuff away from them." Start my own thing like Tyler Perry did. And he's very successful at it. He's such a poser. It's so obvious. Yeah. You just look at him. <laughs> he, uh, Al Sharpton is just playing up as though he's confident and a leader. And people he, listen to him. He said he, his organization, National Action Network, Urban the NAACP, and another one I think he named, all racist organizations. And all the thing they do is set themselves up as being for black people when they're really using black people for these reasons. This is what Bill de Blasio and Barack Obama and Eric Holder are doing by creating these so-called guidelines for local cops. Yes. Taking over the police station. Yes. Making them all have these body cameras and then they'll, yes. they'll pick and choose what footage they want to play up. In Los Angeles right now, the police are wearing those things now. I know. You heard about that? Stupid. I don't like Charlie Beck at all. (laughs) (laughs) Andre, you want to say anything about this? Not really. I mean, Sharpton is an obvious charlatan. The man is... I just... I find it very, very difficult to believe how people follow this person. It doesn't fit my head. I don't understand it. TMZ... That was TMZ interviewing Shopton. Yeah, they they highlight these guys, especially black people, because they're they're gay. Well, the the head TMZ guy is gay, and they're all pro-gay, and they have to use the black people to because they want allies between the different minorities to make power for themselves. It is such it's false power. It's unfair. It's not right. And it's a false alliance. You can't alliance. be taking people's stuff. And it's a false alliance. And they when don't they like get it, all they do is destroy it. It's not like they keep it going. They destroy it. Yeah. They weaken it. It, it loses value Look in at everything. America. 
Uh, by the way, Hermes is telling me that Valerie Jarrett is mixed. Mixed black and Persian? I guess. Yeah, she's something. And he's also saying that Sony is actually yellow at the top, Japanese company. That's true. but Not white, but shopping is so stupid, he doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I see at that point, he didn't say shopping is stupid. I'm saying it's stupid. <laughs> he doesn't know that. Yeah, I knew it was a Japanese company just by the name. And because they have so many yeah. different things. Yeah. They have so many different products. Oh, Lordy. But that's why <laughs> Obama and Michelle and these race hustlers are pushing it. It's gain for them. That's why he uh, normalized Cuba, too. People of color coming in and taking over America. You know, that's – you said Sony's Japanese, or he did. Right. And that's an example of America going in – Putting the smack down on a, on a country and then leaving and letting it be better. Yeah. That's not imperialism, and everybody That's claims a good that point. we're imperialistic. Very interesting, boy. I'll take your calls right after this break. Back in a moment. Say something. 888-77-JESSE, Barack Obama and Michelle pushing racism. It's fake, but they're pushing it. What a sad commentary. And by the way, Sony cowered down to the fear of terrorism uh, over their brand new movie, the, what's the movie called? The Interview. The Interview, uh, which uh, is a comedy, right? Yeah, and it calls out by name Kim Jong-un. They were saying that they were trying to assassinate him? Yeah, there's a scene where he gets killed. And so Sony has decided they're not going to open this movie on Christmas Day. They're giving in to terrorism. Yep. How weak is America? Christina from Sacramento, California. Welcome to the show and good morning. Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much time I have. There's so much I would like to say, but I'll get to the point. I think it's absurd that the mother of my country went into Target wearing sweatpants <laughs> and a ridiculous hat and got mad because some human in our country kindly asked her to help get something off the shelf and she related that to being racist i mean who you t- I, uh, uh, oh michelle obama is the mother the, <laughs> the mother of my country it's the mother weird. Oh, of my that's country. like an eerie feeling thinking <laughs> them I, I i won't let myself think that way she is. i would not let country. myself think of michelle <laughs> obama being the mama of the usa i'm sorry jesse that's a trauma <laughs> She is. But the thing about it, when she went into that store, she had a hat on. You wouldn't know that it was her. Who's it going to tell? you got glasses and a hat on. Who's going to tell who's who? Right. I mean, Jesse, I have gone into a store. I am not the tallest woman, you know, but if a shorter woman comes and asks me to reach something, I gladly do it to help her or him. Or a little kid asked me to do something, I'll help them. I'm not going to think that they're racist because right. they're asking me to do something. <laughs> That's so dumb. I mean, I, when I read that, I thought, we're really taking this to a very, very far stretch here. But I don't I mean, believe Michelle really think that it's racist because in an interview two years earlier, she laughed about it. She thought it was cute. But okay. now she thinks it's racist. What changed? <laughs> because publicity, she gets to get more... People feeling sorry for her, and she can continue on with her cause, and it helps keep her identity. 
I wonder what's, you know, I hate to think about it, but short of a miracle from God, these next two years, because this is the last two years of them being there in the White House, and I want my White House back. But I think these next two years are going to be tough for the country. I do, too. Let me ask you this, and I don't care if they're Asian or I don't care what race they are. Do you think Laura Bush would walk into a Target with a hat on and sweatpants? I don't even know if Laura Bush would go to Target. I mean, I go to Target. <laughs> but you know, I don't think she would go. Kids. I think she'd probably have a worker or somebody go for her because she wouldn't want to stir up all that commotion. But exactly. uh, um, uh, Michelle is a, uh, what's that word for the people that love attention? <laughs> They're not supposed to say Narcissistic. that. Yeah. Narcissistic. Yeah. Okay. Narcissistic. Yes. You're not supposed to say yes. what? Attention whatever. Right. Attention getter. <laughs> Yeah. Right, but I home. I have to come up uh, with these fancy words. She so. is a narcissist. That's why she went there. She loved attention. Yeah, and then she gets mad or, or giggles and thinks it's funny. I'm thinking it's not funny. You're just helping one of the citizens that you lord over. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's amazing, so. Christy. I'm just blown away with how much <laughs> these people can get away with. Now, let's see. If Condoleezza Rice, let's just take another black woman, a woman who was raised with some class and etiquette. If she would have went into a Target, would she made a big issue about somebody asking to help her? Or would she think, no. they think I'm black and I'm a slave and that's why they're asking me? No, she, uh, she is a noble woman. There's no way she would have acted this way. Thank you, no. Christina. I appreciate it. 888-77-JESSE. Let's go to black conservative out of Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Jensen, how's it going? All is well, sir. How are you? All right, and hello to your crew there. Hi. You know, these two individuals, they're half-elephant, half-donkey president. And, uh, Why do you call them half-elephant, half-donkey? Because they're half-black and half-white. I know, but you shouldn't he, call them personal names he, like that, man. I told nah, you that. I, I tell him he's a half, let me tell you why I tell him say he's a half-elephant and half-donkey. Because he tried to be like conservatives and Republicans or moderate. He's you know when he when he when he when he was campaigning, he claimed to be in the middle, come to you know in the center, middle, middle like he was a moderate, uh, being a half elephant and a half donkey. But That's what why. you're doing though, when you do that, you make it it sounds so personal, so you turn people off with that. Well, that's too bad if I turn them off because I but, don't really care. But, but you should though, because yeah, it's not like you're you telling the, it's I'm not like you're man. telling the truth. It's the truth that hurts those yeah, that hate but, the truth. Yeah, but but but, but, but what's your point? So about, uh, let me ask. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, you know, they, they hold on a minute. Hold on. Now. Hold on. What are you saying, James? Um, you're right. Keep going, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> um, you shouldn't as a and you are ex, ex preacher, and so I, I believe that you're still a Christian, all right? Yeah. You should always want to help people with words and not hurt people with words. Well, let me say something about liberal Democrats. No, what do you say about that? They are not. No, no, no. Hey, 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 hey. You know what they say about Hey, man. What's wrong with him? (laughs) Hold on a minute. James want to say something about you not listening to what I'm saying. Uh, I know what you're saying. I think you're on a a long-standing trip where you enjoy... Uh, making people mad. I, I making people mad. I'm trying to talk. Un- hold on a minute. Hold on, Black Conservative. Hold on, Black Conservative. Black Conservative, hold on. He's trying to tell you something. Hold on. You're, you're right about the conservative stuff, but you're just making people mad on purpose, being very 
disrespectful, like purposely, and it's not help. It's you, nobody likes you. It's well, not helping. The point is, I'm not trying to look. Let me say this here: I'm not trying to make these radical, uh, racist, black liberal Democrats uh, like me because first no, but of even all, normal people don't like you. Are you trying to help them? What do you mean trying to help? I have look. I have. I have. No, give me a yes and no. Are you trying to help? No, I am not even interested. Even if, already, even if he's trying, it's not working. People like Al Sharp. So what? Even if he's trying to help, it's not working. I'm not interested. Who is interested in helping Al Sharp? Al Sharp have done so much. But no, that's not, not talk- the point. No, We're not nobody, talking about Al Sharp. I'm saying nobody <laughs> likes you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying that to be mean. But, you know but nobody but likes you. you. Nobody likes listening I don't, to this. You know Let me tell you something. Let me say this here. I don't believe in groupism. I don't run in a group. I believe in the concept of but, individuality. But black conservative, aren't you a Christian? Are, are aren't you a Christian? Yeah. yeah. But they are very hateful. No, no, no. Listen, listen. Aren't you a Christian? Black conservative, are you a Christian? Excuse me. Absolutely. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to love all you're supposed to love I, all people. Hey, we do love them. Not we, we you. <laughs> I do love them. I uh, love them from a distance. Uh, hold on, hold on, man. Back in a moment. Here is another stupid racist man whom you should well do what you want, but never go see another one of his movies. I wouldn't spend one red cent on anything that he's a part of. He's clearly a racist after taking advantage of white Americans and becoming very successful. This is from the Huffington Post. Samuel L. Jackson just challenged celebrity to call out the violence, violence, quote unquote, violence of the racist police. All you celebrities, All you celebrities out, there out there who poured ice, ice water, water on your head, head is a chance, chance to, do to do something else. else. I challenge, I challenge all, of you all of you to sing, to sing the wind, wind going to stop, stop till people, till people are free. Song. Song. Here we go. Here we go. I can't, I can't hear my neighbor, neighbor crying, crying. I, can't I can't breathe. Now, now I'm, I'm in the struggle, struggle and, and I can't leave. Calling out the violence of the racist police. We ain't gonna stop till people are free. We ain't gonna stop till people are free. Come on, come on, sing it out. Sing it out. When I saw him on the video doing this, I saw pure evil. Nothing but evil. This is so unfortunate for black Americans who don't have parents to guide them. This is terrible, terrible, terrible. And white folks, you got to stop supporting these people financially by going to their movies, those uh, football games and basketball games where the players like Kobe Bryant and others are wearing is it hands up, don't you? Or I can't breathe. I can't breathe. They sure won't be breathing breathing, because I wouldn't be spending my money on them. You're promoting racism when you sponsor these people. Let me try one more time with black conservatives, see if he understands. You made an interesting point. Black conservative. Yeah. Let me make let No, me let make me finish. Hold on. Hold on a minute, man. Go ahead. Go right ahead. I'm listening. No, you're not listening if you're speaking over me. 
I listen to you yeah. every day, just even when I don't call in. I listen James to you. made the point that you, over, over the years, you've become accustomed to just saying horrible things, not with the intent to help, but to hurt people, make them mad, and then you feel good about making people mad, so you feel a false sense of righteousness, and that's not the way it should be done as a Christian. Am I saying it right? Yeah. As a Christian, that's not the way you should be functioning. And you now say— all right, let, let me address that. Let me address that. He's partly right in a sense, but let me address that. Let's make a subject-option distinction. When you see, when you hear me go on the attack against these militant, racist, black, white liberals and militant black people like the Black Panther shop. But you call all black people oh, bad listen. names. No, 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 not all. No, all what do you call them? He called them ghetto monkeys or something like that? <laughs> Hold on yeah, for a minute. Like let, me, let me make your point so people can understand where I'm coming from. When you hear me go on the attack on the rampage against these militant, radical, extreme black liberals like Obama. But see, you're, you're Trump, being deceived, deceptive now. Hold on, black conservative. Black conservative, hold on. Hold on. You call regular black people in the ghetto, ghetto, bunk, what do you call them? <laughs> Maybe it's ghetto monkeys, I forget. Ghetto, jungle, bunk, bunk. And it's, no. and it's huh? not all, he's not all, but he's calling. Hey, hey, just hold on. Hold, hold on. on. Hold, black conservative, I'm going to put you on hold. Oh, I'll let you go. Because you're just talking over, we're trying to make a point to help you. He called them jungle bungles or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's not helping them. And... It's kind of like uh, me going out on Facebook and talking a lot of crap about Obama and the gays and all this stuff. And um, I'm not even necessarily talking about uh, other people who are reading this stuff specifically, but they're just turned off by all the negativity. Right. And as Christians, we have to be the light. We can't be like that. Yeah. I don't know. Black conservative. Yeah, I'm listening. All right, hold on. Uh, the Bible go to guy. I want to talk to you. Go ahead, Bible go to guy. <laughs> Another one. Yeah, black black conservative. You know, when I hear them uh, getting on you about how you treat people on the air, it caused me to call up and confess that you know I'm doing the same thing from time to time. I get carried away. I uh-huh. I, uh, want, I want to strike out and, and hurt them instead of you know my words. Uh, you know, the truth alone hurt hurt people who are doing wrong. You don't have to throw out. You know. Uh, your attitude toward them and stuff. And, and I've been guilty of that, and you're so over the top with it, like I get sometimes, that I just had to call in and say, uh, you know, you need to take their correction, you know, their correction, this, um, uh, and and run with it. I mean, you know, listen well, let me to what say they're this saying. Here. Let me say this here, and I, and I, I take that. Uh, you're just uh, being uh, mean. <laughs> yeah, let me say this here. Jesse, you'd be surprised how I hear every day here in Memphis, other talk shows, uh, you're doing a good job out there in California, but you got, when your show go off, you got another show coming on, and you'd be surprised, and, and you'd be surprised how they attack you, and I had to come to your defense on their show. I know, but so, whether that's still not explaining how you... Call. No, but I'm saying, you, I, you, but no, we need to. And we're trying to help you right now. I don't care what they're saying about me like that. I just take the fight but, to military radical black. But, not all black but people, no, but no, no, no. You're still missing it. You're still not admitting it. If you don't admit it, you won't be free from it. Yeah, and even you, when you defend, I'm sorry. Even when you defend Jeff, you can't be mean to them while you're defending them. It doesn't make him look good. These are the same people who call. Uh, all right, I gotta go. Thank you. I gotta. I gotta take a break. Thank you, Black Conservative. Back in a moment, folks. We don't like your kind around here.
<laughs> okay, folks, like me on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Jessalee Peterson, or follow me at JLP Talk. Uh, tomorrow is Open Line Friday. Get it off your chest day. Express yourself day. Anything goes tomorrow. Also, James, just to finish, I don't, I don't know if black conservatives heard what we're trying to say. No, maybe he'll think about it later. Because every time he, we try to get him to see it, he'll go to somebody. Well, I'm trying, you know, how he's defending you, how he's on, how he is right about what he's saying, and all this yeah. other stuff. That was a good call. And how he from, doesn't, yeah, that was a nice call from, from Bob. Uh, Bob, a go-to guy trying to help him see. He, he said it better than me. <laughs> he yeah. said you're just being mean. Right. I said nobody likes you. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't hear you say no one likes him. <laughs> But, but oh yeah, he may have heard it. He may have heard. It. Yeah. But I just want. I think he made me. I guess he mean well, but he's so personal. Name calling is not the way a Christian should be doing it. Um, he's it, turning away not just Al Sharpton. He's turning away ni- nice guys like Perry who would want to team up with him and do something good. Oh yeah, Perry has some problem with him. Yeah. But but he won't hear it. He won't hear it. And, and we're, I know he liked me a lot, and I know he liked the show, but he's not getting the message that his spirit is wrong. You know, he calling black people jungle bongos. Jungle monkeys or... Bongo, something like that. Concrete monkeys. Uh, that is like personal attack, which it lacks love. Mm-hmm. There's no love in that. And uh, most of blacks already have enough time just hearing the truth about the lack of morality in their community, their anger, the, the destruction of the family. They're surely not going to accept, me if, accept anything if you call them monkey names and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's not looking at himself. Who? Black conservatives. Well, hopefully he will now. But that's the only point. I'm trying to make black conservatives that... <laughs> You you can't be personal like that. We, we if we are children of God, we have to be honest with love and with no mean intent. But every word should be to help, to enlighten, to to get people to look at themselves so they can draw closer to God. Is that right? That makes sense to me. Well, thank you. <laughs> I totally appreciate it. <laughs> you were fishing for that. Open line Friday tomorrow. I went fishing for anything. <laughs> fishing for what? Compliments. Oh. You turn it all pink now. <laughs> Why are you turning pink? Leave me alone. You been standing on your head? End the show. Excuse me. Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. Views expressed by guests and callers on today's program may not necessarily represent the views of the station. For more information, call 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-BOND. Or visit our website at bondinfo.org. To all those who are going through emotional ups and downs, and for those who have fear and doubt, and for those who worry, who are depressed and want to commit suicide or have tried to commit suicide, for those who are lonely and lost, you know, you just don't know what to do. You pray to God and things still are not working. It's never going to work for you until you learn to love your fathers. You got to forgive your father whether they were there or not and love him. Otherwise, you would never, ever, ever know God. 
For expert advice on relationships, personal and spiritual issues, Bond offers counseling to individuals, couples and families. Call Bond to schedule an appointment. Call 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-2663. 